This is from Louisa's new book. It's entitled um, Memoirs and Testimonies of Louise Clark Gregson, Volume 1. And so there's another volume coming. But let me read the preface here, uh, just part of it. It says, Today is May 24th, 2018, and it marks my 96th birthday. It is time for me to honor our Heavenly Father by bearing witness of the marvelous wonders He has performed during my sojourn here on this earth, which is His footstool. I am a sinner and have done many things of which I am ashamed. Nevertheless, I have repented of the mistakes that I have made and wish to share the things that I did that were wrong in the sight of God that caused him grief, sorrow, and pain. I have pierced his precious heart because of my actions, whether they were done deliberately or in ignorance or naively. We read in the scriptures about many great people who sinned against God, and yet many of them repented and God was able to bring forth his purposes through their changed lives. Even though Abraham lied, he was called the friend of God. God called Jacob a worm, yet Jacob wrestled with God and prevailed. Alma was an idolatrous man, but when he sought forgiveness, he became a powerful leader of the church. David and Solomon were polygamists, but God used them when they were repentant. Peter denied the Lord three times, But after that, he became a valiant leader and championed the cause of Christ. The lives of women changed when they sought the Lord for forgiveness for their sins. We are all sinners, and we need to continually beg for his forgiveness. Therefore, I admit again that I am a sinner. But instead of waiting to stand before the judgment bar of God, I want to tell you now of my failures and successes, of the miracles of healing and the forgiveness of God when I approach him in humility with a deep desire to serve God and my fellow man all the days of my life. Louise, that is beautiful. So last year, you decided it's time to write down my life story. And you've got another volume coming out? Mm-hmm. It's, um, it's, oh, I'm pretty well on the way with it. Mm-hmm. How in the world, at the age of 96, did you write, this has 200 pages in it, and it says the sequel to this book will follow. Um, tell me. Go ahead. I have tried to keep the word of wisdom, and God has made specific promises to those who keep the word of wisdom. 
and like um, uh, well, one needs to read the promises in word of wisdom. Health in God. your navel, marrow. Mm-hmm. It says that you'll have health in your navel, marrow in your bones. Yes. And real quick, I'm just going to tell some of our listeners who aren't members of the church or don't know, the word of wisdom was given way back in the 1800s. 32. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> 1832, she mm-hmm. knows. Um, and it's a way to eat and a way to be healthy and conduct mm-hmm. your life way before our modern health system caught up with that knowledge. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, but today, everybody's diet is just so full of um, sugar, which is not a food, it's a drug. And I tell a story in my book about the sugar. But anyway, um, so... You wanted... Oh, sorry, go ahead. When I got married to Albert, I saw how much sugar he consumed and he had stomach trouble, and he had digestive problems and everything. So I explained to him about the word of wisdom, and he says to me, oh, I I suggested changes that we should make. And... uh, Albert, having been used to eating meat three times a day, that's like ham or bacon in the morning and and some kind of meat at lunchtime, you know, usually hamburger and then a roast at supper. And I said, that's not how the Lord wants us to eat. He said, all grain is good for the food of man to be the staff of life. I said, what does it mean? You know, what does that mean, a staff? A staff is something that you depend on, something you lean on very heavily. Oh, Albert said, it's a terrible death. To starve to death. <laughs> but he was so good-natured about it, you know. And he went along with it, and he received so many blessings. We both received so many blessings. And, of course, the Lord's plan for Albert and for me was to do his work, which was the writing of the stories of the Book of Mormon, because at that time, the church was making the drastic changes, following the position papers, do away with the Book of Mormon, do away with the Doctrine and Covenants, do away with the inspired version of the Bible, And so the Lord commanded me to write 
And so with that writing came the healing of cancer. You had, had, you had cancer? I had cancer. And so the Lord just healed me. It's not in that book because it'll be in the second book. That's okay. What year did you write the first, um, like the Book of Mormon color books? Do you remember about what time? What year? Yeah. 1970. Okay. Mm-hmm. And were you commanded to write those books? Is that what you I you're... was commanded to write. See, he told me I, I had such an unpleasant experience with my brother. And my brother came over because he thought he needed to um, straighten me up and tell me how I should run my family and how I should do everything. And he had a habit of doing that. Um, it's the oriental influence that was had from living in the islands because if the parents died, then the oldest brother took over. He was the head of the house. So I, he, he took it upon himself to come and give me a lecture and tell me how to run my family, and he was pushing for me to go to college. He said, of all the kids in our family, he said, you are the one that deserved to go to college. So now that you're married to Albert, let him pay for your schooling. I said, I did not marry Albert, for him to send me to school. If I had a choice, I would study the things of God. That's what I want to study, the things of God, not the things of the world. So anyway, he left And, of course, I was in tears, and I went to my kitchen sink because Albert was going to be home in about half an hour, and I didn't have his supper ready. And so I was at the sink washing the dishes, and I said, Lord, why did I ever come to this place? This was in independence, and I was living in Golden Acres, just about, oh, five-minute walk from the Gudgel Park Church. And I said, why did I ever come to this place? Why didn't I stay in Hawaii where I belong? My brother and I used to be such good buddies then, and now that I've come here to independence, 
he is always angry at, at me about something. I should have stayed in Hawaii where I belonged. And it was then I heard the voice of the Lord speaking to me. It was a it was a soft voice, but it was a piercing voice. I heard it in my mind, I heard it in my ears, I heard it in my heart. And the voice said, I have led you every step of the way to bring you to this place. And I had always known in my heart that this place was a place for the city of Zion, which I longed for from the time I learned about it. So I dried my eyes and I said, Lord, since you have led me every step of the way to bring me to this place, what is it that I can do for you? And he said, Write the stories of the Book of Mormon for my children, for the time will shortly come that they will have nothing to study. And I said, Lord, you know I can't write. You know I didn't go to college. You know I didn't, I didn't go to um, um, uh, I, I didn't take uh, journalism. Why don't you ask somebody who is smart, somebody who's educated? No answer. Just complete silence. The Lord let me stew over it. I had lots to think about. And so I didn't write until the second year when I knew I had cancer. I knew that when I first came to Omaha and they did that surgery on me and they gave me that medication, not supposed to be on it for over 10 years. They left me on it for 20 years, and it's a sure thing to cause cancer. Anyway, the Lord healed me of that, gave me a completely 21-year-old report on on the condition of my uh, this area here in Ilyasiko Valve. I mean, he performed a miracle. And then the one who administered to me had been, uh, he had had a cerebral hemorrhage 
and could not really speak well. And he was reluctant to administer to me when the pastor was going to be there. It was okay if Albert was there, but not the pastor. And so he said to the pastor, you administer to her. The pastor very wisely said, no, Glenn, she has asked you to be the spokesman. And so you must be the spokesman for her. It was the shortest prayer that I have ever had uh, for an administration. Glenn just presented me to the Lord. In fact, he used the words that the Lord spoke to him. He said, she is an elect lady. She has a work to do for me, and I will heal her. I was healed immediately. And so that's when I started writing. And of course, I met much opposition from, from the leaders of the church. I was um, <laughs> I was disgusted and chewed up and spit out and <laughs> I, turned, I turned wanted, the island people away from me, told oh. them, don't buy her material. It's not printed by the church. And so you printed the material on your own. You found a way to print the material because the church wouldn't print it. Yeah. Bishop DeLapp came into the picture through um, Dave Sheehy. And because, see, one day when I was typing the stories, I said, Lord, is the church going to print this material? The Lord said, no. And I said, who's going to print it? I, I don't have any money to print material. And so and the Lord gave me two names. Well, one name was Marion Van Fleet, and her husband was Ron Van Fleet, and he was a millionaire. And um, so I thought, well, what do I do with these two names? <laughs> and I went to, uh, <clears throat> I pondered about it all day. Then I thought, well, I think I'm supposed to call these people and let them know that I've written these books. And so I called Marion, and I said, I've written some stories on the Jaredite period. And she said, and when are you coming over to read them to me? I said, well, when would you like for me to come? 
She said, tonight. <clears throat> so Albert and I went over, and I read her what I had written. She said, these are wonderful. She said, when you get ready to print, I'll give you $1,000 to help with the printing. And I said, okay. So then I called Dave and I told him the same thing. And he said, when you get ready to print, I'll give you $500. But I know a lot of people in the church who are very dissatisfied with what is going on with the officials in the church changing the gospel. He said they will want to donate. So come to my house on a certain night, and we will talk about it. So Albert and I got there, and I said, Oh, Albert, if I thought I was in trouble before, look at me now. I am really in trouble. Albert said, What is wrong? I said, Bishop DeLapp is in there in the meeting, and he's holding my manuscript on his lap. And so Albert and I went in, and Bishop DeLapp got right to the point. He says, I have here a manuscript that our sister has written, and it is of great value to the church. However, our sister says that God told her that the church will not print her material. But I say to my sister, give it to the church and let them reject it. Then the responsibility will lie upon them because you gave it to the church and they didn't want it. They rejected it. And I thought, what a wise man the Lord has for a bishop. And so... That's what I did. Gave it to the church. I got insulted right and left. And I thought, that's okay. I got the money to print it. You know, they can reject it. Later on, my friend Carol Brady. She said, Louise, I've got to hear your story. She said, you just tickle me so much. I said, why? I said, it's not a laughing matter. She said, yeah. She said, I write for the church. And do you know how long I have to wait sometimes for the church to print my material? I said, no. She said, six years. Oh. And you gave uh, the first presidency your 
papers. And in three weeks, you called them and you told them you've had it long enough. If you're not going to do it, I want it back. (laughs) And then she said, you don't know how lucky you are that they refuse to print your material. I said, well, why am I lucky? She said, because once you submit material to the church and they like it, they will pay you a certain amount for it. Then it becomes their property, and your name is on it, and they will change whatever they want in it, and your name is attached to it. I said, oh, no, because I knew they didn't like the teachings of the Book of Mormon, etc. And I said, oh, my. I'm so glad they didn't accept it. So the first um, printing came out. I said 5,000 books. And after I said 5,000, I said, why did I say that? Who's going to buy 5,000 books? Well, 5,000 books were sold out in about six weeks. The people were so hungry for Book of Mormon material that was simple, and children and adults could understand. So I had to order another 5,000 of volume one. And... That's hard to, for people to imagine now without, without computers and without the internet and without social media for you to sell out 5,000 books that wasn't even being advertised by the church, just word of mouth, and that you sold those out so quickly and then had a reprinting in no time. Amazing. And the Lord told me then, He said, this, the knowledge of the Book of Mormon has to go into all the world. And so over the years, I've wondered about that. And then when Jack came and he explained your program, and Jack said, this tape could go all over the world. And I thought of what the Lord said. I thought, oh, he said this work will go into all the world. Well, it is. And I wanted to let you know, I did talk to the Book of Mormon Foundation before I came here because I wondered if your books were for sale there Mm -hmm. because I can put a link on the computer where people can buy your testimonies of the of the work and they said they'd be very happy to carry those and so we can put a link on this program and then people can uh, go on the internet and order your work so they can then get a copy and that'll be helpful to you I hope Mm. that is wonderful 
Can you share just a testimony of Jesus? I know you have so many written in your book. Is there a testimony you feel like you want to share from that people can hear coming right from your mouth of a of a testimony with Jesus or a miracle or just a a way that he has showed his love to you? Well, there's so many. Uh, um, maybe uh, I like to tell the the story about the angels. Sure. And Albert and I were married December third, uh, not December third, but December fourteenth, and. He'd been gone about about three years, I think, and I thought um, it it's um it was a lonely time, but I kept myself very busy. I was teaching Nancy Huffman the Book of Mormon and my sister. This was before Jack came into the picture. And uh, so I had the Book of Mormon class going at Oak Grove Congregation. But here it was going to be summertime and I was occupying a Friday night at the church. So they asked me if I would mind changing it to Thursday because Friday nights was usually when people decided they were going to get married on Saturday and they needed the church Uh without any classes being held there. They needed to have the free run of the place. So I said, okay, I'll change. Well, Nancy was utterly destroyed. She cried. She said, I can't come to your classes anymore because I worked at night. And that was the only time I had. And I didn't know she was going through a terrible, terrible um, problem at that time. So I said, oh, don't worry. I said, come to my house. We'll have the class at my house. She said, you mean you're going to have everybody come to your house? I said, no. I'll meet with the, at the church with the big group. But you and Lila was living in front of me. I said, you and Lila come up. We'll have supper. We'll do the dishes. And then I'll teach you. Oh, that's wonderful. So one night in November, she comes in. She just opens that door, 
she looks down the hallway, and she looked down here, and she said, oh, that music coming from your bedroom. She said, it's beautiful. I said, Nancy, there's no music coming from my bedroom. I said, I, I, I don't have... I don't have a TV in there. I don't have a player. I don't have anything. I don't know what you're hearing. She said, I hear the most beautiful music coming from your bedroom. So I said, Lord, how can she hear that? And I cannot even hear her, hear it at all. So I could see that it bothered her all that evening because every once in a while I'd catch her looking from the kitchen table to my room. And I thought, this is bothering her. It's kind of bothering me too. Next week she comes in. She pops the door open and she goes, there, I hear it again. Beautiful music coming from your bedroom. And I said under my breath, Lord, why can't I hear this beautiful music coming from the bedroom? So then Saturday rolled along, and Lila came up because she was going to, drive me to independence. So I I was standing in the kitchen. I had my coat on. I had my purse, my gloves on. Lila comes down the hallway. She just pops the door open, and she's thinking, now why is she playing music? when she should be getting ready to go, you know. When Lila heard the music coming from there, and she saw me standing there waiting for her, and she goes, I hear it, I hear it. It's beautiful music, she said. It's coming from your bedroom. So that made me wonder even more. I said, Lord, why is it that these two are privileged and can hear that music and I cannot? So anyway, we went to town and we came back. And it was on the 14th of December, the day that Albert and I were married. And I thought, I am going to put on this Hawaiian slack key music. It was just music. But the last selection was of a woman singing Silent Night, Holy Night, in the Hawaiian language. And so I stood there in front of the uh, 
the player, and I listened, and I thought of the condescension of God, how humble he was to choose to come to earth in the form of a little child and to be born in a lowly, you know, in the setting that he was born in. And I kept thinking about about his greatness and his goodness and that he was the king over all the earth. And yet, he was so humble to allow himself to be born under such conditions. And so the tears were coming down my cheeks and the song was being sung in the Hawaiian language. And then the music came to an end. I was still standing in front of my player when suddenly from my bedroom I heard the heavenly host singing and praising God and it was so beautiful it was so wonderful and I just stood there and listen, and I thank God for for his gift to me. So he did not forget that it was my anniversary. Everybody else had forgotten. Oh, that's so sweet. <laughs> yes. There was another time, too, with angels that there were two young priesthood men that were going to come to visit me. They were from a different congregation, and this um, young man was, um, oh, I think he was... um, He had been talking to the Lord about what he should say to me when he came because he was taking the the leadership role in this visit. And he was very taken aback when he was talking to the Lord and telling him, uh, I'm going to tell her this, and I'm going to tell her that, and I'm going to, um, this is what I'll do when we visit her. This was his plan. And then he said he had the biggest surprise of his life. The Lord spoke to him and said to him, When you go there to her home to visit her, she 
will minister to you. And so that took him aback, you know. And the Lord said to him, my angels minister to her daily. And uh, he was more surprised than ever. He was so surprised he couldn't get over it. And when he came, he told me that. And I thought, isn't the Lord wonderful the way he, he blesses his children? Tell me what the Book of Mormon has meant to you since you have spent so much of your life uh, working and trying to explain it to young children. What does the Book of Mormon mean to you? Well, first of all, it's a very humbling experience uh, because... I didn't know. I didn't know anything about the Book of Mormon. When I was a young person, I'd try to read it, and I guess being that I was so busy trying to raise my children, I'd read a few verses, and then by the time I picked up the Book of Mormon again, I had to go back and read the same thing over again. So I didn't move ahead very fast at all. And I found it so difficult to, to read and to follow, you know. But um, when the Lord asked me to write the stories of the Book of Mormon. Everything was different. It was so clear. It was so clear to my understanding. And then when I came to parts that I, I was puzzled about, that's where Albert came in, you know. And I would go to him and I would say, Honey, I, this is what I wrote, but I, I, I don't think I'm getting to the point. And so what can you suggest here for me? Or what can you tell me that would make, it's easier to be understood. And so he would go over my work and everything. He would make suggestions. Uh, he would say, well, have you thought about saying this? Or have you thought about that? Or he would refer me to something that happened in another part of the Book of Mormon. And so... Albert was really my mentor. I just went to him with all. Every time I, I wrote during the day while he was at work, and when he would come home, he was 
be very eager to know how I had progressed. So he said, well, what did you write today? You know, And I would go get my papers, and he would go over it, and he would say, this is very good. He would say, this is very good. And then he would read something else, and, and he would say, have you thought about adding this to what you're saying here? And I think it would help to make it easier yet to understand. So he was always so helpful. That was good. He was there to help you. He was glad. I wanted to ask you a question because in the preface of your book, you talked about the Lord loving us and forgiving us. What would you tell people that says that people that say they don't feel like Jesus loves them? What would you tell them? Well, when people don't feel like Jesus loves them, then they should recognize that that is the work of the adversary to discourage them so that they'll cease trying to understand what Jesus is saying for them to do, what he requires of them. It's just the adversary trying to take away agency because it's up to each individual to use this agency to choose Jesus to choose to believe the lies that the adversary is trying to promote. And he always does that when he sees that he's losing ground with a person. He doesn't worry about those who he already has caught in his web. He worries about all the ones that he hasn't caught yet in his web. And he'll try his very best to discourage them. And that is when a person will have to, well, in today's vernacular, people would say, God don't make any junk, you know. I'm worth something. I'm valuable to God, and he created me, and I am going to follow him. Mm -hmm. Our listeners can't see, but I have a friend here with us, Brother Jack Hagenson. He brought me out here today to see Louise here at her house and Jack was married to Louisa's sister, Lila. And um, I knew that Jack knew Louise much better than 
I do. Jack, is there any stories or any things that we need to end with or that maybe I've missed? I shouldn't say that. I've got a whole book in my hand that she's written, and I knew we could only get just a fraction. I just wanted our listeners to hear her share her story and her love of Jesus. But anything I should touch on, um, I want to save her voice. She's been going here almost two hours. And so how are you feeling, sister? You doing okay? Are you ready to wrap it up? <laughs> yeah. Um, what do you think, Jack? Is any any other testimonies you remember that may be good or you think uh, – if you don't, that's fine. I just wanted to give you opportunity. He's shaking his head no. So, <laughs> Louise, is there anything else you would like to end with and tell the world or those that are listening about Jesus or about uh, anything you want to share? Anything else? Well, I think um, it's very important that people should read the Book of Mormon. They should read it every day. And the reason for saying that is every time you read the Book of Mormon, you see something that you never saw before. And you 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 have made another connection there you know with what jesus said or what the prophets have been prophesying and so we see that all of these prophecies that are in the book of mormon will have either come to pass already or are about to come to pass. And there are so many that are about to come to pass, and people are not aware of it because they're too busy watching the television and I don't know what else they watch, but... I know for myself, I, since I wrote this book, I, um, I haven't put the television on at all because it's just something that's distracting. And really, when you get down to to business, um, they don't offer anything that's for your salvation. I have books here, I have books, I have books, I have books, I have books here, I have (laughs) books in my library. And I said, Lord, even if you gave me a hundred years more, I would never be able to finish all these wonderful books that have been written about you. And so, but uh, 
He has blessed me so much. He's blessed me with the knowledge of the gospel uh, enough so that I could do that writing and and share it. And one day I said, Lord, this is so difficult to understand. And how, how can I write this so a little child can understand it? And then the Lord gave me the answer. And this is the answer. When a child is born, he doesn't understand what you're saying to him. But that doesn't keep you from speaking to the child. You continue to speak to the child, and you hold the child, and you sing to him, or you tell him a little story, and the child doesn't know what you're talking about. But you don't give up. You keep on speaking to that child, and the first thing you know, that child is understanding what you are saying because of the repetition. And so, if you spoke to the child in a second language and a third language, that child would get it, would be bilingual. And so, you don't give up. You keep on teaching this child, and then as the child gets older, the child will know, if I do this, mommy and daddy will not be pleased. It will hurt them. And so, I mustn't do this. But if I do this, it will make them happy. So this is the thing I have to do. So the Lord said to me, this is how you teach the children. Repetition. Mm -hmm. And they know what to expect of you. And that's a, that's a good reason to read the Word every day because that's how God speaks to us, right? And so... We can't listen to God if we're not reading the Word. That is so beautiful. So by reading the Word every day, even though it's hard to understand at first, mm -hmm. our Father in Heaven is speaking yes. to us through His Word. And so you're 97 years old, and you still read the Word? Do you still read His Word today? Yes. Yes, I, I have to because I have to depend on, on what is written. And I know we have to make judgments every day about what to read, what not to read, you know, what is true, what is not true. So it's just like when um, Joseph asked the Lord, about the um, 
oh, about that little book. What was it? He wanted to know if he should translate that. And the Lord told him, no. He said, some things in it are true, some things are not true. And when we asked the Lord uh, to help us to discern the different spirits, he does. And like so many people have been deceived by what came out of Brazil and I read that a part of it and I thought this this material is just it doesn't even sound scriptural you know and so we have to be able to discern truth from untruth. Yeah. <laughs> Louise, you know, I uh, one of the things that's been such a, a great testimony to me about your life is that you've been a widow uh, for how many years now? When did Albert pass away? December 3rd in um, 1998. Well, there's one thing that, uh, that I think uh, as you've been listening to Louise, you'll understand that uh, she's had a companion all of her life, but when she lost Albert, you know that the companion that she has had has been the Lord, has been the, the scriptures, has been something that she has uh, taken care of. Any loneliness that she has, which she feels from time to time, of course. But the thing that's been most impressive to me is the fact that she just continues to study, continues to give her life to the Lord, and that because of that, uh, you know, she was at one point in her life was called an elect lady. And she does not desire to bring glory to herself, but she desires to bring glory to God. And that's why, you know, the, the companionship that she has with the Lord just fills all the gaps in her life. And she's able to minister and do things that uh, you normally you don't see a 97-year-old doing. But she is just full of the spirit and full of life and full of giving an expression of what the Lord has done for her in her life. And she's so much wants to share that with other people. And so as you read her book or hear her testimony, you'll understand that, that she, her heart has been opened up by the Lord. And the window has opened up in her life that has brought the spirit into her life where she is just uh, just privileged. She feels privileged to be able to share these things with other people. And I do not say these things to glorify her, but I say these things because it's her deepest desire is to glorify God. And I believe the Lord is so pleased with what she's done and what she's doing. 
and that these many of these words that she's written and many words that she's going to continue to write will be carried for many into many lives for centuries into even to everlasting life. I wanted to say that in that book I I just wrote some a short excerpt of my patriarchal blessing and towards the end of my blessing the patriarch said that uh, my uh, inheritance oh all my life I've been associ- associated with the children of Manasseh and my inheritance is with them um, and so I think I was just finishing up the last color book and Elsie Hensley was driving to my place. And so on the way over, she was thinking about me and the work that that had been done for the children. And she said out loud, Lord, why did you choose Louise to write the stories of the Book of Mormon? And uh, the Lord said to Elsie, it's because it's about her people. It's about her people. And I thought, that's right. The, you know, I was told that I, my inheritance would be with Manasseh. Well, he was the oldest son of Joseph who was sold into Egypt. And... Uh, then, of course, the promise was given to Joseph. Joseph is a fruitful bough whose branches run over the wall. Well, the wall is the sea, and so Lehi was brought here to this land of promise. And then... The Indians, the so-called Indians, um, they are the seed of Lehi. And so I thought, my Lord has so many promises and so many blessings for people. And, and your, and your have, ancestors were from the Philippines, mm-hmm. right? Your great great ancestors were from the Philippines and made their way to Hawaii. Is that correct? Well, is that what I read in your book? Well, my um, my father came from the Philippines, right? And my mother's people came from Portugal. Portugal. Okay. Uh-huh. Okay. And so, 
So that made my mother Portuguese Hawaiian. My father was Filipino, Spanish, and Chinese. I was trying to just make the connection on people maybe wondering how Manasseh and Hawaii Island fit uh-huh. in. Yeah. Yes. Well, it's um, and then when I was baptized, we had several. Hawaiians in the church. And so I was associated with those people from the time I was a little girl. So. Louise, how did you remember when you were writing this book? (laughs) How did you remember all of these stories of your life? Was that a pretty neat experience to go back and think upon all of those things? Uh, no, it just, <laughs> the Lord just brought it to my mind oh. and I just wrote them down. <laughs> I don't think, I hope people realize that that miracle. I mean, of 97 years, I can't remember what I had for lunch yesterday. So, <laughs> so to have a, a book in front of me that's 200 pages full of a lifetime of testimonies, uh-huh. knowing that there's another volume on the way, mm-hmm. and that this was just started last year, uh-huh. and, and that you sit here with this beautiful love for the Lord, and you say, the Lord just brought these to my mind. This yeah. is a heavenly work just, that we're... <laughs> the Lord brought all these things to mind. That's what Suzanne Bendorf said. She said, Louise, I I am so impressed. She said, you remember what the church was like. The seven pews on this side and on this side, and then over here is the two small little uh, rooms and in the back of the organ, that ladder. You know, faith, repentance, baptism, laying on of hands, and uh, uh, resurrection and eternal life. Well, I think that I've been blessed with, uh, and it says in my patriarchal blessing that I've been given the gift of knowledge. And but I don't like to say that too loud because there's so much I don't know, you know. But the things that I do know about and I have asked the Lord for confirmation. Like, for instance, one of the stories in the next book is about going to to the, um, oh, to that outstanding, the snake mound, the serpent mound in Ohio. And I pondered over that, and I said, Lord, who were these people? And I 
pondered about it for several days, and then I started to pray about it. And I said, Lord, were these people at one time Nephites? Because according to the information that is given there at the Serpent's Mound, is that the way that they, that serpent lays, it ends up in a place where it's in alignment with somehow with the solar system, and they had a knowledge of that. And I said, Lord, these people, were they once Nephites? Because the Nephites had a knowledge of the constellations. And I said, and then they turned away from God, and they became Lamanites. So... I said, am I thinking correctly on this? And the answer was yes, that they were once Nephites. They had turned away from God. They became ferocious. And so where that mound is and where Moroni traveled, to come up and then to come into New York where he hid the plates in the hill, Kumara. That was not too far, maybe just maybe 500 miles, maybe less, I don't know. But anyway, I put it down that that's what the Lord showed me. And I said, but you don't have to believe me. You can ask the Lord yourself and let the Lord tell you. So I just left it like that. But I was very sure. And the feeling that I had when I was there at that mound and then some Indian people had come from Ohio um, City. She had been playing the flute. And so we heard her, and we followed the sound of the flute. So we were sitting at this place at the mound, and... They had seating there, and it overlooked a deep ravine. And so I started telling them that you are God's people, and God has not forgotten you, and he has seen your many sorrows. And it won't be long that things will be different for you. 
because the Lord is going to return soon. And this lady said, yes, we know that, and we're waiting for his return. So we had a real nice visit. Well, thank you, Louise, for sharing with us today. Thank you for allowing us to come into your home. And I wanted to ask you a question. I haven't done this before. I was wondering, would you say a prayer for the church and for those people who are seeking to know Jesus? Would you do that? And 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 I don't usually record prayers, but I want to record you praying for the church today and for those that need to know Jesus. Our Heavenly Father, it is in deep humility that I come before you today to pray for your church that you have restored here upon the earth. I pray for the faithful followers who have clung to the rod of iron and who have been faithful for, to you. And I pray that they might have the strength to go out and proclaim the truth of your gospel and that there will be those who will hear and their hearts will be pricked, and they will be touched to tears because they will feel the power of your Holy Spirit working in their lives. There are those who are seeking for the truth, and truth, Father, is wherever it may be found because truth cannot change. And so the Book of Mormon offers these truths. And so we pray, Lord, that your word shall not return void unto you, but that it shall go forward and to proclaim the truth, and that everyone will know that there is a Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and that you will confirm to those who are truly seeking for the truth the truthfulness of your gospel. And so, Father, I ask you to bless this young man as he goes about making recordings of, um, of testimonies of people that can be shared with others so that their strength in you might be uh, renewed, that they might not be discouraged, but that they might look for the signs of the times and find that 
your word is true, and that not one word shall return to you void. And so, Father, we pray for faith among thy saints. We pray that um, they will be diligent in seeking to share the gospel by the lives that they live, that Zion might be, and that um, we will all be able to come to Zion rejoicing, and that we will always love you, Lord, and share with one another the stories of your kingdom and what you have done to give your life so that others might live. And so I thank you, Lord, for this opportunity for sharing my testimony, and I pray that it might help someone to know that they must be faithful. They must trust in you and that you are true to your word, that you you are unchangeable. And so, Father, we thank you so much for being our God and our Heavenly Father. And we thank you for the Holy Spirit which strengthens and comforts us. And so, we love you, Lord, and we desire to serve you to the best of our abilities. And I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much, dear sister. Um, I had one highlighted area in your book that I wanted to read, and it's just a short paragraph, and I thought we would close with this. Folks, this is this is not just the meanderings of a of an older lady. These are uh, this is a very uh, well written book. The prose is absolutely beautiful, Louise. You have a gift, and so listen to these words uh, written and buy this book. It's available and and will be available at the uh, the uh, Book of Mormon uh, bookstore. We'll have links. My father. This is uh, from uh, page five of her book. My father found a house to rent about a half mile from the mouth of the mighty Wailuku, is that the right pronouncing? Wailuku River, where it thundered down the mountain, cascading over huge boulders as it made its relentless, powerful journey to become one with the great blue Pacific Ocean. The course of the Lord is one eternal round. He causes his sun to shine upon the ocean, evaporating water which form clouds or visible masses of condensed water droplets or ice particles floating in the air, usually at a height above the ground. 
Then God causes his winds to blow wherever he directs. And when the clouds are filled to capacity with its life-giving substance, they burst forth upon the thirsty earth in the form of rain, snow, or ice. This heavenly liquid, or it can be more solid matter, falls upon the streams which spill into the rivers, which flow back into the ocean again and again and again, and the process is continual. For the course of the Lord is one eternal round. I never thought when I was seven years old and my dad brought forth uh, these coloring books into the kitchen as a young boy that I would be sitting here at the age of 48 and talking to you about your life. The Lord certainly, his course is one eternal round, sister. Thank you. Thank you uh, for, for doing this today. I love you, and I know the Lord loves you, and it's very evident that you love his people. So God bless.